This is God's word. You, Lord, showed favor to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sins. You set aside all your wrath and turned from your fierce anger. Restore us again, God our Savior, and put away your displeasure toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, Lord, and grant us your salvation. I will listen to what God the Lord says. He promises peace to his people and faithful servants, but let them not return to folly. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him. That his glory may dwell in our land. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth, and righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord will indeed give what is good, and our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. The word of the Lord. Nick, we didn't test this microphone, but I'll let you kind of dial it in as I'm starting. I invite you to pray with me. Our God of grace, as we open up our, our minds and our hearts to the possibility that we're here for a reason, that wasn't a mistake, that we walked in these doors this morning, and that you might have something to say to us that the words that we hear, although they come from a human mouth, they connect with a message that you have in mind for us to hear. May we be open to that as we come from different places, places of hurt or places of happiness, places of doubt or faith. And the truth is, as we sit here with different experiences, we're all more of a mess than we care to admit. And your story from Scripture tells us that you move towards mess. You move towards imperfect devotion in a way that completes it, in a way that accepts us, in a way that brings us grace through Jesus. So now as we, as we listen for you and your voice, may it be that grace that transforms. May we know that even though we're more of a mess than we care to admit, in the end we're more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever imagined. Speak to us through that grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I got to spend two days in San Diego last week and uh, kind of get together with some other regional leaders, some pastors, and have some experiences together. We got to go to an escape room. Has anybody ever done one of those escape rooms? Yeah. Did you pass? Did you get out? Any of you? No? Yes? Yes? No? <laughs> Dan still feels trapped. Kind of fun experience. Way more intense than I thought it would feel. People got really intense in that room. You know, there's like five locks on the door, and you've got to use the clues in the room to try to figure out how to unlock the locks and get out. We, we failed. We did not get out. We did not get out. 
In fact, we didn't even discover there was a whole room like behind a shelf that we didn't even, <laughs> we never even discovered one of the rooms that we had access to. So. And I find, found that my role, the side of me came out that when it got tense that I just started cracking jokes. I don't think that was helpful. <laughs> I was trying to make people laugh. And uh, another experience we had is we got to tour, um, visit and tour Chicano Park. And um, we learned about, we got kind of this walking tour of that park and a little bit of the history of Chicano Park. And so what, let me tell you a little bit about it. Chicano Park is located in this neighborhood called Barrio Logan. And the history of Barrio Logan is, um, is kind of sad and troubled because it was a neighborhood where the, the people and the culture is Chicano, Mexican-American. And so throughout the years and decades, it was a neighborhood that was easily kind of used for purposes of the movers and shakers in the city. And so there are a lot of things that happened over the years with Barrio Logan that the people were not consulted on and, the, um, and didn't really have a say or a voice in what happened to their community. And so during World War II, it was, the neighborhood was kind of co-opted for naval usage. And so now they didn't have access for fishing and access to the water and the beach anymore. From their community. And then as time went on that it was it was actually rezoned at one point so that um, junkyards could could be put in that neighborhood. And then and then it got um, it got to be the luck one of the lucky neighborhoods that was decided to have the interstate go right through it and cut it in half. And then about 5,000 homes uh, were lost to that putting the interstate which cut the neighborhood up, split people up, and took out 5,000 homes. And then when um, a, a bridge was desired to go from San Diego to Coronado Island, it was easy um, to just decide that that bridge would start in Barrio Logan and that the, the giant forest of huge concrete pylons would, would uh, get to be throughout their neighborhood for this bridge. And I think that's the, one of the pictures you can see, the, corn, the bridge to Coronado there. So, um, so finally the residents uh, eventually began to kind of speak up and let their voice be heard. And they were promised a park on this piece of land right here. But it never seemed to be, like month after month, nothing ever seemed to actually happen. The city wasn't doing anything about it, wasn't starting the park. And then one day, this young organizer was walking by the place where the park was supposed to be and saw these bulldozers being unloaded and got excited and went to go talk to the workers and said, oh, you're starting the park. And they said, no, we're starting the parking lot for the CHP that's going to be here. And so that was sort of a last straw, and this young organizer went, and, and the community, it spread like wildfire, the community came out and organized and put a human chain around the bulldozers and began immediately to plant plants and trees on the place, in the place. And they eventually, after 12 days of being around these bulldozers hand-to-hand, -hand, they were able to get the park promised, and the bulldozers kind of went away, and then the park began to be created. And so now there's this park and there's this um, architecture that's 
that's associated with Chicano culture. And there's all these murals. The largest series of murals in the United States is at Chicano Park. The murals at Chicano Park paint a beautiful picture of hope amidst evidence that suggests otherwise. It's easy to be depressed about the story of Barrio Logan's history of being used and abused and their land getting chopped up by the powers that be. But when you visit Chicano Park, when I visited Chicano Park, you find a seed of hope. You find a flame of hope that won't go out. A strikingly beautiful, artistic picture arising from the ashes and dust, as it were. And that's a great picture for what exactly is happening in Psalm 85. In Psalm 85, an incredibly beautiful artistic vision is sung amidst evidence of despair, unfairness, injustice, and most of all, evidence of the absence of God. The words, God, set aside your wrath. Will you be angry forever? Restore us, revive us, are met with this song. This voice breaks in. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth and righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord will indeed give what is good and our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness goes before Him and prepares the way for His steps. The psalm likely comes from the exile period of Israel's history where they had no land, they had no place, where it seemed God had allowed them to be unjustly displaced, overtaken, enslaved, belittled, and forgotten. In other words, used and abused and their land getting chopped up by the powers that be. And so they found themselves with little evidence of hope. Little evidence of God's presence. Little evidence of God's justice. Little evidence of the truth of God's promises spoken in the past. Do you ever get to those places? You ever feel that? We get to these places where our bag of hopeful evidence comes up short. There's nothing in it. Our mind wants to be able to see a light at the end of the tunnel, but it's not there. We want to paint a hopeful picture, but we have no brushes. Or someone left the paints out, and they're all dry and cracked. One of us is watching political leaders and not seeing evidence. Here we are with another example of sexual harassment. Here we are with another victory for the gun lobby. Another public statement about immigration that puts a once hopeful immigrant waiting to get his wife and children from the Middle East to be able to join him in the US into a tailspin of depression. Someone has another setback in housing or finding work or having a baby or getting healthy, or finding a spouse, or saving their marriage. I talked to someone this week who only after her husband died, 
So when she was in the, you know, the deepest point of her grief, found out that he had sexually molested two of their daughters without her knowing. I know an elderly couple in Sacramento, a couple who supports and prays for City Life Church since we began in 2007, who, when they were children, they were sent with their family to a Japanese internment camp. Maybe you read some, some of the news about that this week and just what that involved on the anniversary of Pearl Harbor. Law-abiding Japanese families experiencing dramatic injustice, losing homes, losing businesses, losing dignity, losing friendships. We get to these places where we ask, where's the evidence of hope? Ancient Israel was given words to express this lack of evidence. The words they used and they chanted in worship were like in verse 4. Restore us again, God our Savior, and put away your displeasure towards us. They're struggling to find a clue. One shred of evidence that God's favor was still alive yet in their day, that the glowing embers hadn't been smothered out completely. And into this dark place comes a voice. In fact, I like the theory that this psalm has within it is best read as having multiple voices speaking back and forth to each other. And so this brave new voice comes in verse 8 proclaiming something hopeful. And when you look a little closer, it's not just a little hopeful. Some say this song, and some talk about this song um, as an ancient Near Eastern work of art as the most beautiful in all of Scripture. When it comes to this point saying, love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth. Righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord will indeed give what is good, and our land will yield its harvest. The singer of this rich, artistic song is singing a song of hope in defiance of contrary evidence. And the dominant theme, the kind of the umbrella word of this psalm that pops into here a couple of times, is this word shalom. And so all those other words, love and faithfulness and righteousness, they all kind of fit under this bigger picture word called shalom that we don't have a great word to use to translate it. We have the, the kind of puny word of peace that doesn't really capture. Walter Brueggemann is a scholar, Old Testament um, theologian, who, who summarizes what shalom really means. It's a long quote for one word. Shalom is well-being, well-being that exists in the very midst of threats from sword and drought and, the, and from wild animals. It is well-being of a material, physical, historical kind, not idyllic pie in the sky, but salvation in the midst of trees and crops and enemies, in the very places where people always have to cope with anxiety, struggle for survival, and deal with temptation. It is well-being of a very personal kind, but it is deliberately also corporate. If there is to be well-being, it is not... It, it, it will not be just for the isolated, insulated individuals. It is rather security and prosperity granted to a whole community. Old, young, rich, poor, powerful, independent. Always we are in this together. Shalom. Shalom. Faithfulness springing forth from the earth. Righteousness raining down from heaven. Shalom. Shalom. 
amidst the lack of evidence. And the Christian especially knows that we can have such incredible hope. Ancient Israel didn't have as much evidence as we have today because in the darkest hour of our Savior's life, in his darkest hour where there was the least evidence, he was accomplishing our salvation. When the powers that be thought they had chopped him up and snuffed him out, he was accomplishing the divine act of love. Dying the death you and I deserve so that you and I could be protected forever in God's presence. They weren't snuffing out the flame. They were guaranteeing its permanence. And even though his heart stopped and his body went limp for two days, on the third day he arose from the dead. A Christian, because of this, a Christian possesses this hope every morning, regardless of other evidence. Each day presents a new opportunity to paint a defiant picture of hope, like the song of Psalm 85. Gratuitous pictures of shalom painted amidst the rubble, painted underneath the very support beams of injustice, like that picture. Did you see the picture? The last one, as if someone in the neighborhood is holding up the bridge, the neighborhood holds it on their back. Singing songs of hope at funerals, in prisons, under freeways, in war zones and slums, at clinics, in classrooms, in toxic workplaces, amidst family feuds. Yes, we're in the holidays, aren't we? In courtrooms and cubicles, at celebrations and soup kitchens. Christ will come again, he will make things right, just laws will win the day. Our land, this land, will be healed. But not just, we're not just talking about it, and maybe you already get the sense of this, we're not just talking about words and just a song that is sung. We're not talking about thoughts, we're not just talking about belief statements. Please, paint your defiant picture with your life. We paint beautiful, defiant pictures with what we do as individuals, as family sometimes, but especially as churches, as small groups. Another place I got to visit in San Diego was Friendship Park. Friendship Park is right on the border. The locals call it the border wall. They've been calling that for a while because that's what it's, it's more like that. The official government word for it is fence. And I get to learn the, some of the history of the border wall between San Diego and Tijuana. I was struck by how emotional of a place it is for people. People coming every weekend to actually talk to loved ones through the tiny holes in the fence, unable to hug, kiss, or hold hands. The most you can get is uh, the tip of your pinkies together to hold. And not only is there like personal sadness of separated family members, but on the U.S. side it almost feels like uh, you're on the scary edge of a war zone. On the, on the Tijuana side, there's a park, there's music, there's people, there's palm trees. On the U.S. side, 
it's more of a formidable kind of just depressing place. Two big walls because the, the old one was, was decided it wasn't tall enough. So these, these two big walls are there. There's cameras and there's helicopters scanning the area. It's a sort of just a sad and gloomy place to be there. And yet, so amidst all of this, so you picture that, and, that, and if you visit there on the U.S. side, you just feel that. You feel kind of that energy. You can't help it. So picture this, that for some 20 years, some Christians have been getting together on Sunday morning. So every Sunday, there's a communion service that happens, and it's happening at the wall on both sides simultaneously. There's scripture read on both sides. There's songs sung together on both sides. And then there's communion celebrated. And there's like, um, like half circles, you know, up to the wall. It's not a political statement, you know. We often put our hopes, stash our hopes on political statements. It's not going to create a new law, you know. We're often putting our hopes in new laws, this or that law. This communion service isn't going to do that. It's not going to tear down the huge fences dividing the families. It's just a picture of hope standing amidst a place that's quite gloomy. Like Psalm 85, it's declaring that the world won't always have places like this. But that won't have the final word. Love and faithfulness will meet together. Righteousness and peace will kiss each other. So what, what picture are you painting? It doesn't have to be grandiose. It might just start with a smile in a place where smiles don't often happen. It probably won't be in the newspaper, and most people will probably never notice. Just ask yourself, what canvas is opening up before me in my life? How is my life called to exhibit the hope started by the arrival, the unlikely arrival of a newborn 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem? Let's pray. God, we come here this morning and many things do trouble us and the, the answers would be varied for what troubles us and what we want changed. You speak of a different hope. You speak of a different place to place our hopes. And we move each week closer to looking full on at the manger in Bethlehem. And would during this season, we as a community, would we solidify where our hope really lies? And would you make that possible? Because on our own, the troubles can be so overwhelming that we want to give up. And would it be the hope that you give us that we are able to live out and paint beautiful pictures in this world? We pray as your forgiven and loved children, recipients of your grace, depending on you every second. In Jesus' name, amen.